the path doesn't have to be straight. We have enough information that we can value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Before we get started today, we would so appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and comment on the show. Gaming has seen significant changes over the years. What was once considered a cult following of unshowered youths and young adults playing in their basements has turned into a multi-billion dollar industry. B billion. Yes. The industry has and continues to be on the cutting edge of innovation and technology, creating dream jobs for many avid gamers. Most recently, it's influencing how corporate enterprise can benefit from utilizing game playing elements and immersive technology through what is now known as gamification. To help break all of this down for us is trailblazer Heather Chandler, former senior producer of the gaming empire movement known as Fortnite and current owner of Whole Brain Escape Escape Rooms. So Heather, welcome to WeGraph. Welcome. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Vanessa and Sue. I'm so excited to be here. So you worked on one of the, is it the biggest, most successful game of all time, Fortnite? I, I would love to dig into that a little bit because that has been no pun intended, but a game changer in your industry, <laughs> right? Um, it's actually it's actually changed how other games are are being created currently, right. just because it's had such a huge. Again, it's a it's a movement, it's a following. Yeah, I was very lucky to work on the the team for Fortnite. Uh, I worked on that game for about three and a half years. I was part. We launched the game. It was in July of 2018, and um, I. You know, I'm very lucky because most game developers don't get to work on a game that goes to be that monetarily successful, right? I mean, of course, it's everywhere. Um, you know, there's toys, there's the game itself, there's just all kinds of things that have definitely influenced the culture, the Halloween costumes. Working on that game was definitely one of the high points of my career. Um, I was working with very talented people that were very passionate about what they do. And if you're familiar, and if you're from North Carolina, you're familiar with Epic, then you know that Epic is a company that takes excellent care of their employees, that they have very passionate people working there, and that they pride themselves on having a very quality, immersive product. So working on Fortnite just gave me the opportunity to solve lots of different new problems that I hadn't necessarily encountered before. When you work on a game like Fortnite that's a live game, there's lots of things that you have to be thinking about because when the game is live to players and problems start to happen, that is a whole different way to solve it than if you're just working on a game that you're going to release just sort of as like, hey, here, you can go play this game. You have millions and millions of players, and if the game goes down, they're unhappy, and you have to solve those problems as quickly as possible. Um, you know, my role in the game was to really sit in the middle of sort of all of the chaos of game development and, again, pull all the pieces together so that the developers had what they needed, marketing and publishing had what they needed, and that we were able to create 
content that made it into the player's hands as quickly as possible. What do you think is the secret sauce of Fortnite? Like, what do you think set it apart and made it so, as you say, culturally transformational? There's a lot. I mean, I could talk for a long, long time about the different ways that I think Fortnite did that. I think, number one, um, they created a game that appeals to a broad range of people. Um, The battle royale mode of the game is very easy for people to understand what it is you're supposed to do. It's very easy for them to go in and play it. And once you're in the world of Fortnite, it's so colorful and it's so crazy that it appeals to all ages. It's a game that families can play together. It's a game that, you know, your, your kids can play together with their friends. And it just cuts across many different things. It's, it was very popular at mobile. So when it came out on mobile, it brought a bunch of new players into the gaming ecosystem. The other thing I think that really sets them apart is that they have done a good job of creating a social community around it. So people log into the game to play the game, yes, but they also log in because it's an easy way for them to connect and socialize. And that's become even more critical with the stay-at-home orders that that people have been, um, you know, having to to do right now. And, you know, I think those are the the main things that that make it so appealing. Um, it's just that they designed something with the intent of bringing a good quality interactive experience to a lot of different people. And then they continue surprising you with it. So they recently had this in-game concert event, and it was just completely nuts. Um, It was a live event in which you as a player would log into the game at a certain time, and then the event would start. And it was almost like being at a real concert with pyrotechnics, with light shows. Um, The performer came out and did all kinds of crazy things. So they the universe of Fortnite is really showing you where we could go with the concept of like a game metaverse where you come in to socialize, to game, to experience cool events and to connect with other, other people and other things. That's such a um, common thread with so many of our conversations over like so many different, I guess, uh, industries within technology, right, is that we want to bridge the gap between thinking that tech is just the tech and that human connection is over here. We want to bridge that gap. And mm-hmm. that seems like the, the secret sauce. You're bridging that gap. It's more than just a game. It is a community of people that are connecting from all ends of the earth. So that's that's magical. Heather, talk a little bit, if you would, about, you know, we're talking about games specifically for the purpose of entertainment, but more and more enterprises are incorporating this technology into what they do. Can you talk a little bit about that, how Epic Games is doing that, and also, um, you know, why? Yeah, so as people become more used to the concept of using games, um, a lot of companies like to try to use games as a way to educate people. One of the examples that I have of a game that I worked on was a game called Never Alone. And that game had a very specific mission. Um, It was developed in conjunction with the Inupiat uh, Native American tribe up in Alaska. And they had decided that they wanted to find a way to create and share their culture with people outside of their tribe. But they also wanted to get the youth excited about the culture and figure out a way to pull the elders in as well and into this experience that gets people excited about their culture and excited about sharing it. So they decided they wanted to create a video game. 
And even though they themselves didn't have particular experience making games, they were able to partner up with a company called Eline that helped them take their game idea and they co-developed it with Eline and with the tribe. And I was brought in to kind of help facilitate this to create a really interesting um, experience for the players in which they go through and have, um, it's a platform game that's a commercial game, but it also has lots of learning aspects in it where you get to learn about the culture, the story and the characters are authentic to the culture. And so they were able to create this platform that not only educated, but also entertained the players. And it's a memorable experience when someone can go through something like that. So, you know, as much as reading is amazing for us or listening potentially to, you know, we think of education, a teacher or listening to, uh, you know, onboarding, you know, lingo when you're first starting a job, if you can put somebody in an experience that they can literally take away, they're going to be talking about that when they get home. You know, mm-hmm. like I yeah. went through this like amazing, you know, immersive situation where I was learning about whatever it is, you know, that's what people take away. And one of the interesting things that you can do with the Unreal Engine that Epic Games um, releases is that people do use it to create sort of levels where you can go in and train people on how to do something. What's nice about working with a game engine like Unreal or other engines is that you can go in and create an immersive environment, code it so it's like a game, and you can say, okay, I'm going to train you on how to change a tire, for example, or how to do this aspect of your job where normally it would cost a lot of money to do sort of personal one-to-one training, but let's get you in sort of a, a module where it simulates that environment for you and it's kind of like a game because you give the player goals and different things to achieve as they train. That gives them time to kind of get used to what they need to be doing before you put them in front of the more expensive piece of equipment that they need to be trained on. Exactly. That's something we we talk about a lot is that immersive arts allow people or immersive trainings allow people to fail safely, right? So you you can't necessarily fail safely in an emergency situation in the real world or on an expensive piece of equipment that is an actual piece of equipment, but it's just a safe way for people to learn when you do it immersively. Sure. And if they have to go through something uh, physical after that, that immersive training usually um, allows for someone to go through that physical testing um, a lot faster and with with higher results than the person that went through traditional methods of uh, training before that physical Mm -hmm. test, right? Yes. And also to go to the point that Sue made about failing, it is easier also to simulate failure conditions Mm-hmm. Right, where they have to be able to work through those problems, and it's far better to have them do that in a simulation than actually on the job. Now, your hope is, of course, is that when they go on the job, that everything runs smoothly. Um, but if there is a failure, they need to deal with it. They've already at least had some virtual experience um, in solving that problem. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and walk us through your career journey because you have a pretty amazing one. Well, I make video games. As a game producer for the past 23 years, I've worked with lots of artists, engineers, and designers to make games. I've worked on big games and small games. I've worked on games that have released on PC, console, mobile. Some you've heard of, like Fortnite. Some you haven't, uh, like Interstate 76. Um, There's some you may have heard of called Never Alone. And each game that I work on has a very special story for me behind it 
because you get so involved with the team of people that you are helping to coordinate as a producer that it really becomes part of you when you make these games. In school, I had a passion for math and science and art, and I wanted something that combined all of these. But uh, making games wasn't something that I had actually thought about. And so when I graduated from college with a degree in art history, I went to film school and got a graduate degree in film studies. After graduating from there, I was approached by Activision, and they were looking for an entry-level person to come work into their studio. So I started at Activision as a production assistant, and while I was there, I realized that making games filled that desire I had to combine art and technology, and uh, I kind of just learned on the job from there. I really decided that I wanted to be a video game producer, and I had a very strong mentor who encouraged me along the way. And one of the first things he asked me when I was at Activision after about three or six months, he said, where do you see yourself going in the game industry? And I said, I really want to be a game producer. And he's like, okay, here's what you need to do. Uh, number one, play games. So um, actually at work, every about an hour a day, I would play all kinds of different games. He said, learn about the game industry. So I spent, you know, an hour a day reading up about the game industry news and becoming familiar with that. And then um, he also encouraged me to go around and talk to all of the developers and just learn the nuts and bolts of how games were made. So back when I started, I really got an on-the-job training of the nuts and bolts of how games are made. And so um, from Activision, I have moved on to other places like Activision and EA and eventually Epic Games. At each place I go, I learn new things to hone my craft, and I engage with new groups of exciting people, and I work on some really awesome games. Um, one of the things that I'm really passionate about my job is the fact that I help people create, collaborate, and share their games. Um, the role of the producer is really the people part where you have to work with the artists, designers, engineers, marketing, publishing, legal, community service, QA, and make sure that everybody is coming together and is pointed in the same direction to make the game. And at the end of the day, we're all people. So it's really all about making them uh, create an environment in which they can do their best work. And so I spend a lot of time pulling together different threads, solving problems, putting out fires, making sure that people have what they need. And that's something that uh, really fits well with what I wanted to do when I grew up, although I didn't know that's what I wanted to do. It's so funny. I was going to say, you know, I can only imagine or envision a young 20-something Heather Chandler at Activision being mentored and told, yeah, you're going to need to play games on the job and go interview like these really cool developers. And yeah, you know, also take some time to research and we're going to pay you to do that. That that seems like a really <laughs> tough gig for a 20-year-old, yeah. right? <laughs> It was pretty amazing when I would call my mom and tell her the the work things that I was doing. Now, the job itself that I had was entry level. Um, and so that was useful in many ways because I got to learn a lot of stuff. But I mean, the one thing that I did learn is that making games is incredibly hard. Oh, and yeah. There's a mm -hmm. lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into that. And so even it is generally a fun thing. Um, you are working with people that this is their life and they put every inch of themselves into these games that they make. Well, of course, I think that must be true because you're creating whole worlds for people, right? So, I mean, that that's a lot of work. I'm curious, Heather, when you started 
how many women were there in, in the industry in your everyday, day-to-day life? Um, when I first started, and this would have been in the mid-90s, there weren't a lot of women there. Um, in the When I first started in the studio where we had roughly 300 developers, there were three women wow. um, that were there. And, you know, I was lucky because the people that I was working with were very open to answering questions and to helping me learn. So I had a very positive experience. I was able to convince one of the programmers to do sort of like lunchtime coding sessions because I wanted to learn a little bit about codes, code and how it worked. And so he put together these lunchtime seminars that I attended along with a couple other people. Um, I worked at a studio where I was the only female. And that was kind of interesting because before I came along, they hadn't had any women in the studio. And so they used the women's bathroom as well. And so when I came, they they couldn't, you know, or they stopped using it. Actually, I mean, I guess they could have, but they stopped using it. So I was the only one that got to use that, which was really great. Um, <laughs> but I will say that, you know, as I have progressed in my career, I do see a higher and higher percentage of women being involved in the game industry, which is really the direction we need to be going. And it's nice to see that that we are doing that, at least based from my my perspective and experience. Absolutely. So let's kind of dig in here because we've touched on how many women there were at the time and the need for um, for that. A lot of people potentially think that, okay, I have to specialize or study a certain subject or, you know, if somebody's considering a career change, you know, in their um, near future, oh, well, I can't really do that because I don't know how to code. So the idea that you have to be a coder to have a voice in like the gaming or XR industry, um, can we can we get into that and your thoughts on that um, and the importance of actually having a creative side and something that's not as um, technical? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when I first started in the game industry, I did have this misconception that you had to be a technical person or know how to program in order to make games. What I learned, though, is that game teams are made up of lots of different people with lots of different skill sets. Yes, the technical aspect of it is very important because without technology, you wouldn't be able to create these amazing interactive experiences. But you also need artists and designers that create this content. And sometimes they're not as technical as the engineers. And so then it becomes, my role becomes helping these different groups of people communicate with each other. Um, My role is more people focused, as I mentioned, you know, earlier in that I am there to help facilitate uh, the people and create a work environment that is conducive for them to do their jobs. I don't need to be technical in order to do this. But it certainly helps when I am trying to sort out their problems and figure out good solutions. But I don't need to have an engineering degree in in order to make this happen. I think the other interesting thing that I learned, too, is that when you think about technical people, um, they are actually very creative. I was blown away one time when I was talking to a programmer and I said, hey, I'm just really curious. Like, how do you actually program something and get it up and running in the game. And he pulled up a blank screen and he said, well, I start here. And that to me really made a very strong connection in my mind that that is the same as a painter looking at a blank canvas or a writer looking at a blank page in which they have to start writing content. He knew what he wanted to get into the game 
but he still had to figure out a creative way to do it. And code was his medium in which he did this. So I would say that everybody in the game industry has a different way of expressing their creativity. And that, that aspect of creativity is very key, I think, in any technical aspect or in anything that you want to bring to the game industry. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, InPhase.biz. Thanks for listening. We've talked about Fortnite. We've talked about your career in the gaming industry. You are also a parent. And I know one of the things that we spoke about when we first um, sat down to talk about doing this interview was the idea of digital citizenship. And you are very well versed with the world of gaming and how people use their devices and how much time our kids spend on their devices. And I wanted to just ask your thoughts about how we help our kids become better digital citizens as they are so attracted to and involved in things like video games or, or social communities with gaming. Um, you know, how do we help them navigate that in a responsible way? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely something that I, as a parent, have been navigating on a personal level. And it's very funny because there's a way you think you're going to be parenting when it comes to all this technology and then the way that you actually do. And I can appreciate what a struggle it is to convince kids, you know, to tone down the time that they spend on their devices and things like that. I would say for me personally, the approach I took was I wanted my son to be as educated as I was about sort of the pitfalls with um, being a good digital citizen and the things that you can do to make sure you're being a good digital citizen and staying safe. So I am sure that he has heard way more lectures from me than the average child would hear from their parent about all the various things that could go wrong, uh, utilizing social media or talking with people online that you don't know. But I, I say for the parents out there, it's really important to understand what type of content is your child engaging with? Is this the type of content that you want them to be engaged with? There's all different ways that you can go and look up um, sort of the game ratings and the game content. Um, and also there's websites out there that give information to parents about the different apps that kids are using and the type of information that they might be uh, revealing on those. I think it's good to have just open conversation with your kids about what they are doing online. I know that for me, the main thing that I stress with him is let's make sure that you're being safe, that you're not revealing personal information, that, you know, you are acting politely, you know, um, with other people if you're interacting with them online. But it is just such new territory for me to traverse as a parent that, um, you know, it's hard to say what the exact right answer is, um, but except to just get as much information out there as, as to what your kids are engaging with. And that could be hard because sometimes you don't know and you try to ask them and they, they are not interested in really telling you. I think that there's something there because we're mm -hmm. talking about how do people learn, how do how to make an impression and make something memorable and how we can get parents and children in the game situation. They're learning together. They're having fun and mm -hmm. they're, they're taking away the important pieces there. And instead of just talking to your, I mean, of course we have to keep talking to our kids about it, but that's, that doesn't show that you really understand 
the attraction of it. And it's better to be shoulder to shoulder with your child as opposed to face to face when you're talking about these things. I always feel like if you're shoulder to shoulder and you're both experiencing something together, then it just opens up the conversation as opposed to I'm getting a lecture about being, you know, responsible. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you hit on something that's really important too, not just knowing what they're playing, but playing it yourself. Um, Because I have played games my whole life. I actually have played most of the games that my son is playing already before he even played them. And I already knew what they were all about. But what he's really interested in is sharing what he does in the games. And so he's very interested in playing together. He wants to show me the stuff that he's done. And I think as a parent, yes, I mean, we have so many demands on our time, but if you could find just 10 minutes to sit down and play a demo of the game and really understand what's so appealing about it to your child, um, that that can go a long way as well because it better prepares you to have better conversations with them. What age, um, and I don't know if, if you know this other than maybe from your own personal experience, my daughters weren't really gamers, so I don't know this, but at what age do kids really start engaging in games, you know, at, and it's also a good time to start having that interaction about steering them to making good decisions and maybe having that shoulder to shoulder experience with them? I mean, I think kindergarten, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. at that point, kids by the time that they are in kindergarten are already well-versed in what mobile devices are. They've probably already been engaged with apps and um, interactive things. And I honestly started with him before kindergarten because technology has become such an ingrained part of our lives that kids are exposed to it basically from the time that they can hold a thing in their hands. And Um, as they start getting even up to kindergarten, they're very curious and they want to know different things and they see you doing, playing with different things on your phone and they want to do those things. And so you have to start explaining, well, you know, this is the type of content that's good for you to look at right now. But as you get older, we will explore these other things that you find interesting as well. It's interesting to talk about that too, because I have a toddler and I agree. She sees me on my laptop, especially right now, we're all working from home on my laptop or iPad or whatever. And she has her little, you know, Amazon fire. So she's, you know, mommy's on hers. I'm going to be on mine. Obviously hers right now are strictly games where she's not uh, connecting with other children. So what, around what age do people or do children have the capability to start making social, like digitally social friends and stuff like that? Because I think that therein lies the, being a digital citizen, uh, a great digital citizen and uh, respectful and all of those other worries that come as a parent, right? So when do you kind of see that transition? You know, I think it's going to be different for every kid. I tried to um, delay that as much as possible, just because I have a unique perspective on, you know, the worst side of it, sometimes just from dealing with toxic player communities and things. Um, But you know, I think it really depends on the kid, but, you know, as they approach middle school or about middle school, I mean, is when they really want to do it and get online. Um, up until then, I don't think it's as uh, a burning desire unless they're, they're playing something like Minecraft, where with that, actually, um, Minecraft has a way, of course, for you to create private servers and only invite the people that you want to invite to be on that server. And, you know, elementary school, is probably appropriate to start introducing them to that concept of gaming with people online with a very controlled 
group of people on a private server. Hmm. Um, that's a good way to kind of baby step into that whole thing before they're just kind of let loose into a game world. Because of course, as a parent, you can't be there every minute. It, once you've said, yes, you can play this online game, you know, you kind of have to make sure that they've been equipped with the tools to um, act responsibly. Yeah, communication, I think, is so key with, with, with children. And I mean, my parents had it with me. And I mean, I mean, it was very open open and mm-hmm. honest and anything mm-hmm. goes, anything was on the table because before they have a conversation about something with someone else, you want them to have it with you. Right. You yeah. know, it's so funny because I was thinking the same thing like that for all the technology and for all the different ways that we are communicating and entertaining ourselves now, it still comes down to the relationship you have with your kid, right? And, and a relationship is based on that open communication, that non-judgmental, but honest, respectful, you know, being in touch with each other and, and, and just having open conversation and building that, I guess, trust, right? That's Absolutely. really what it is, you know, trust, and, and that's just, that. that's just human. And that hasn't changed for as much as the world has changed. That foundation hasn't. Exactly. And it starts at such a young age, the minute mm-hmm. you break that trust or the trust is, you know, manipulated in any way. Um, that's when I think that, you know, their ears start being pulled in a different direction. So, I mean, I think it's just really having, I mean, you can agree to disagree, you can have conversations, but at least having that open line of communication and just, again, that anything goes as far as topics to have a, you know, informed and caring conversation with, with your mm-hmm. family is the most important, you know, collaborative. compassionate, collaborative, et cetera. So I'm going to pivot one more time before we get into our lightning round, Heather. Um, Let's talk about girls and encouraging girls to get into STEM, because I know that you have a passion project on the side. So talk about that and let's uh, delve into girls in STEM. One of the things that I was able to do last year is I was um, chosen to be an ambassador for the American Association of the Advancement of Science. They selected 125 women from across the United States to specifically be STEM ambassadors that go out and advocate to middle school and high school girls to engage in STEM and to consider STEM um, careers. With that program, I am in the process of working on sort of a side project. It is our role, it is our responsibility to go out there and be examples of women in STEM and to share our information and to encourage and, and to go Um, get girls excited about it. One of the things that I am very passionate about is as girls approach middle school, I think sometimes they lose a bit of their interest in pursuing STEM careers for a variety of reasons. Um, You know, when you're in middle school, you're going through all of these changes. Um, You get teased if you're the smart kid or if you like math or science for various things. But to make sure that at that age, we capture them and say, hey, it's okay for you to like math and science. It's okay for you to also like these other things um, that are more girly. You can have the confidence to, to do all of these things and you can utilize this as a career. I know that when I was younger, I was very interested in being a doctor and uh, I was really into all of my biology and chemistry classes. But as I became older, I did find that kids were like, oh, she's the smart one. And, you know, you get teased for studying and engaging and taking these types of things seriously. So for me, it's really all about advocating to girls that you can do this. And specifically in the game industry, I would love to see more women get involved because having a woman's diverse perspective when you make these games 
makes a huge difference on how the games are made and the type of content and storyline and activities that you do. And it's important to encourage women to consider the game industry as a potential career for them. Absolutely. I think changing the narrative is so important. And I love this initiative of going into schools, uh, middle schools, and having these conversations with young women, um, or young ladies, I should say. Should we even start earlier than that? Should we just start? I mean, why are kids being teased for being smart? And for for having these like really amazing interests, as opposed to, I mean, I, I you can like lipstick and you can like the chemistry lab, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, why not? Why not try to do it all? I mean, goodness, at this point in time, I think the older you get, you're like, what else can I learn? I mean, it's like, you know, you're, exactly. the world is your oyster. And at such a young age to start putting vines in the sand. I mean, come on now. Like, should we start having these conversations even earlier? We all have to have that mental shift, right? We all have to encourage and empower our girls, the younger, the better. I mean, what have we got to lose? If we have smart young women who want to speak up and who want to be on the forefront, that lifts everybody up. And on the flip side of that, teaching our young young men that, hey, we need to empower women too. They are equal. They they can do anything and everything we can do and, and lift everyone up. Isn't that just like the goal, just being a, a good human? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with all those points. I mean, I think ultimately there is, you know, of course, a huge drive to get girls engaged in STEM, but it is about educating everybody that this is a worthwhile thing to be doing. You know, technology is taking us forward and it's more and more important for people to know and understand and to be able to engage with it. And then they can utilize other STEM subjects biology, chemistry, physics, you know, it's not just about computer science um, or games or anything like that, but it is about promoting all of these sciences and mathematicians and all of that and having people understand that, yeah, this is important and, and it's and it's worthwhile. Where can people learn more information about this program? Yes. So the program is called the If Then Ambassadors. And I believe if you do a search for it, then ambassadors, you'll come across the website. There's uh, social media pages and things like that. I'll also have information about it on my website, heathermchandler.com, where it will link uh, back to those as well if you want to get more STEM resources and information. And what if you want to become involved in helping with the cause? If you want to give back in any way um, as a female in the tech industry, et cetera, what can you do? There's a lot of different um, organizations out there that do really awesome things. There's Triangle Women in STEM. There is the North Carolina Women's, um, it's called NCWIT, oh, North Carolina Women in Technology. So there's a lot of state and national programs where women can get involved in helping to um, advocate for STEM things. Middle schools and high schools are always looking for people to come in, specifically females, to talk to people about STEM activities. And um, there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. And we can link some of those organizations in the show notes as well. So We always give people the platform to talk about something we didn't cover. Whole Brain Escapes, please talk about what you guys are doing and what your inspiration for the escape room was. Oh, sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I also do is I have an escape room in Apex called Whole Brain Escape. It is something that I opened with my husband. He is the room designer and then I run the business. Um, We were looking for something that we could do together and something that kind of married both of our skill sets. 
Um, he is also in the game industry and he's a writer and a game designer. And so he's very highly creative. And we hit upon the idea of the escape room because he would be able to design all the rooms and create the interactive experience. And then I was responsible for pulling all the pieces together, you know, making sure that we had a space in which to do it, marketing and all of that stuff. And we were inspired to open it because we wanted to bring um, an activity uh, to Apex specifically, which is where we live, that would bring people together. So while we're both huge fans of video games, we also understand that there's something really magical about having a collaborative, interactive experience um, with people. And so basically what this offers is it's a real-life adventure game where you can disconnect with technology and connect with family, friends, and, and coworkers. So that was really sort of our inspiration for that is to bring a fun, collaborative, interactive experience that people would experience in real time with other people face to face. And we have, you know, four adventures to choose from, uh, Busting Out of the 80s, Mystery of the Mad Scientist, Seekers of the Mystic Orb, and Escape the Supervillain Slayer. And your website for that? It is um, wholebrainescape.com. Awesome. Sign me up for Busting Out of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So now it's time for us to move on to our lightning round. But these are just fun questions to help us get to know you and your insights better. So the very first one we have for you is finish this sentence. Women are? Women are going to change the world. What are three pieces of advice you'd give your younger self? Definitely don't be afraid to fail. And there's sort of a caveat to that one is don't be afraid of being successful. Um, number two, don't worry so much about if people like you or not. And number three would be be bold mm -hmm. in whatever you try to do. I love all of those so much. Mm -hmm. What is your current favorite application of tech for good, Heather? I am really interested in, you know, with all of the telelearning that's going on now, there are websites out there that are trying to engage kids in learning how to code. One of the things I'm really excited about is something called hack-computer.com. This is a website where you can go and there is um, a computer that you can purchase that has something called the Endless OS on it. The Endless OS was specifically designed so that we could create or so that the company could create content that kids could engage with as games, but then they get to flip the code and start learning how to code by playing these games. Because as they go through the game tutorials, they will start getting exposed more and more to the different aspects of how you actually do coding. And it is a great way to introduce kids to the concept of coding. And the reason that I really, really like it is because they are actually introducing them to um, the format that coders use um, professionally. So it's called hackcomputer.com and it's, it's been really great. What issue do you most hope technology will help resolve in the future? I'm hoping that technology will be able to um, equalize the playing field. Again, going back to the telelearning, um, you know, we are developing those platforms so that people will be able to go and learn all different types of things. And I want to make sure that this platform is accessible for everybody because I want everybody to have that opportunity to get the education that they need uh, for whatever they want to do in life. What inspires you? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I'm very inspired by my family, actually. Um, 
I have an amazing husband and an amazing son. And so we all are always trying to just uh, work hard, make a difference. And so that's also very inspiring to do that. And my mom was a huge part of that, actually. I mean, I think going back to it, she was somebody who always be- uh, who does always believe in me and has always encouraged me along the way. And that has provided a lot of strength to, you know, kind of continue moving forward and doing the things that I've done. What do you wish to learn more about? I am always interested in learning lots of new things. I took one of those tests where they kind of talk about your different uh, ways of thinking, a disk analysis. And one of the things that I scored super high on was is that I'm always interested in learning about everything and the ability to learn something is kind of what is key to my motivations. So for example, you know, I do have an escape room and I'm interested in learning about Raspberry Pi and Arduinos right now because I want to make some really cool props for the escape room. So I'm just always interested in if there's something that I don't know about, I want to go learn about it. Like now I'm curious about podcasting, like, hmm, how would I set this up? Or if I were to do a podcast, what are all the pieces that that go into making that? Describe the future in one word. Exciting. Fill in the blank. Blank like a girl. This is very cliche, but I would say play. Play like a girl. Play games like a girl. This has been so great. Again, we're so excited. And just for everyone to know, when we first talking about we get real af sue and i crafting this like amazing thing that it is now um heather was one of the i think the very first (laughs) that we had a conversation with so again many thanks to heather because she gave us a lot of confidence that we really needed to hear early on as we were trying starting to form this so it's it's a full circle episode for us and very special so thank you so much for being a part of of we graph and for um you know, having so many great insights for us today because it's an important conversation to have. Absolutely. And congratulations on such a successful career. Thank you. Where can people connect with you online personally? They can go to my website, heathermchandler.com. And then that has my Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm not super active on social media, but I do post probably weekly or every couple of weeks uh, with things that I think people would be interested in. And then you can contact me through the website. Awesome. This has been epic. <laughs> certainly has. You've been awesome. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you again for your time today. We have really enjoyed speaking with you. Wish you much continued success. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.